series uh, as we study the book of Colossians and what it means to be complete in Christ. And we saw that, that our completeness in Christ includes um, our victory in Christ. It includes our, the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. And today we want to look at how to live out this completeness in Jesus. What does it mean to live out our completeness in Christ? We know that in Jesus we have a new life. I mean, that's a fact. But we know also that God has placed it upon us to, um, to cooperate with Jesus, to, to live out this newness of life. And, and this is a part of kind of the, the spiritual life where uh, we as consumers in America, um, we, we, we kind of lose a step. Because again, in America, we're, we're, we're groomed to feel like you know, we're consumers. We're groomed to feel as though things should be done for us. And in the way we want it, in the way that we expect it, I mean, businesses, they are spending billions of dollars every year to try to figure out what we want, right? What they can produce to serve us. Schools are constantly trying to balance the fact that they're trying to, to, to the demands of teaching and yet also pleasing the demands of all the parents and the expectations of the parents and what they want for their kids. Poli political leaders are, are constantly concerned about honoring uh, the desires and needs of, of certain interest groups. And so even in church now, sometimes here in America, it's not, it, it becomes not about the glory of Jesus as much as it becomes about whether or not, you know, the church meets my needs, uh, 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 fulfills, you know, cares for me, is doing the things that I want, rises to my expectations. And, and the book of Colossians, as we come to chapter 3, this is a very important turning point. In, in the teaching of Paul to his letter of Colossians because it, it, the second half of the book gives us a full picture of what it really means to be complete in Christ. That, that being complete in Christ doesn't stop with just rejoicing and, and celebrating with what God has done for us, but we now need to, to live out, we live out our completeness in Christ. We live and do the things that honor Jesus Christ. And that's really what Colossians chapter 3 is talking about. So I'd like you to turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. And shall we stand in reverence for the word of God? Reading Colossians 3, 3 chapter 1, it says, If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on this earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For it is on account of these things that the wrath of God is coming, and in these things you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, slave or free, but Christ is in all, and Christ is all and in all. Put on then as Christ's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another as if it was one complaint against one another, forgiving one another as if the Lord has forgiven you. 
so that you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Now, Paul's very clear about the main idea of this passage. In fact, I'm so happy because this week is the first week where this part of the book is actually easier to interpret and explain because it doesn't come in huge, long, deep theological sentences, but rather Paul is really coming down to saying, hey, this is, this is, this is where uh, life really hits scripture, or scripture really hits life. And, and basically the main idea, you have this transitional statement. He says, since you have been raised with Christ, since this is true of you, then he gives the main idea. He says, seek things that are above, set your mind on things that are above. And then he gives the reason why. Why? Because you died with Jesus and your life is hidden with Jesus. So Paul, in no uncertain terms, he's charging the Colossians, he's charging us to say, live out our completeness in Jesus Christ. And he gives kind of three truths. He says, you've been raised with Christ. He says, you have died with Jesus. He says, you've been hidden with Jesus. These ideas are, are connected to what has happened to us when we receive Jesus as Savior. That our former self, we die to our former self, we're no longer slaves to sin, that we're raised to a new life, that our life is now hidden with Jesus, and we have everything that we need uh, to live our new life in Christ. Now, we, we know all this because in the last few weeks, that's what we've been talking about as we've been going through the book of Colossians. But the key idea now comes in these two commands. The idea, it says, seek the things that are above, and set your mind on the things that are above. Now, again, this seems like they're basically one command said, uh, repeated twice, but maybe with a little bit of difference in the nuance. Uh, first of all, this really involves uh, Jesus' authority. And what it's saying here is look above and see Jesus seated on the throne. Meaning see that Jesus is in charge, that he is the ascended glorified king seated at the right hand of God. So that speaks about looking at Jesus in his authority. The second involves more of an eternal perspective. Look at the things above, not, uh, not earthly things. Set your minds on eternity not on just this earth. Now these two, um, these two in, in terms of seeing, involve the idea of worldview. Now again, we've talked about this a bit, but just as a reminder, what is a worldview? Worldview basically has three things. It's about how we look at the world, it's about how we interpret events that occur in our lives, and it's about how we determine right from wrong, how we, what's the criteria that we use to determine what's true and what's false, and this is all worldview. And so what Paul is saying is that if we try to, to navigate these three things according to what we see in the world around us, uh, these earthly interpretations, we're all gonna be kind of messed up in the way that we look at the world, in the way that we understand truth, because earthly things um, are hopelessly filled with kind of half-truths, uh, with, with corruption. The world says, uh, do whatever you want as long as you don't hurt anyone. And again, it kind of sounds right, but at the same time, it sounds like, wait, there's something there that's a little bit 
not right. Or the world says uh, there's no right and wrong except what you think is right and wrong. That's again another uh, idea of the world. Or, or just if everyone did what was right in their own eyes, the world would be a so much better place. The world would be perfect. Again, this is, again, it sounds kind of right, but this sounds like there's just something wrong with that. Now these are the, the, the philosophies or the ideas of the world. And actually, honestly, if we're to speak very honestly, this is a philosophy of Satan, of the devil, of the enemy. Um, it does not lead to freedom. It will not lead to peace. Uh, it will only lead to despair, to destruction, and to eternal damnation. That's the words of Satan. Paul is urging the Colossians to say the only way to, to navigate this world properly is to see a world in which Jesus is on his throne where Jesus and his word are the first and last words in regards to truth, that his heart is the authority of determining what is right and what is wrong in this world, that, that it's only when we take our eyes off of the, the 80 or 90 years that we may spend on this world, in this earthly world, and realize that, that, that we're really looking at eternity. That's when we see, that's when we make the decisions and, and the habits and the lifestyle that, that, that leads to, to real life, to peace. That's the, the proper worldview that sees Jesus on the throne, that sees uh, the eternal life, not uh, this life. And, and, that's, and, and Paul says this really for us Christians, this is it. This is how we think about life itself, that Christ is your life and when he appears, you also will appear with him in glory. And, and, and so in this mindset, in this truth, he now gives this command to seek. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now to seek here is the idea of kind of our orientation. It's a, it's a, a way in which we, we, we mold our lives to the idea that Jesus Christ is seated on the throne. And it's in a, it, this, this verb is, is in a present imperative, meaning the idea is keep on seeking. Continue to, to seek and, and, and put Jesus on the throne and remember that he is uh, the Lord. It's just like if you're standing in a crowd and somebody says, move to the left, move to the right, uh, move out of the way, and you think, well, who is this person to tell me to move? But now if you turn around and you look at him and he's wearing a police officer's uniform, that changes the whole picture, right? Once you see a police uniform, then you say, oh, okay, then it's no longer who's this jerk you know, telling me what to do. It's like, okay, um, there's some safety issue here or whatever, I'm gonna move out of the way. If you look and it says FBI and he's holding a machine gun, then you're like, okay, you know, this FBI now makes it even more important that whatever he says, uh, you know, I don't even think about, you know, who is this guy, you know, who is he? Uh, he's smaller than me, I could take him on. No, he's FBI, so I move out of the way immediately. Now let's say somebody tells you to move out of the way and you turn around and it says, king of the universe creator of all creation, and he tells you, just move out of the way, move to the side, what would we do? We'd say, of course, I wouldn't even question, I gladly, I'll, I'll keep moving out of the way, whatever you say, why? Because we look and we see, this is how we see what God is saying when Jesus, when we read God's word, we look and say, this is coming from the king of all creation the one whose very words 
created everything that is. And so to set our minds, set our, to be, be seeking the things above means that, that constantly whatever we're doing in this world, whatever we're seeing, and when, whenever we hear God's word and we think of God's word, we think of these words coming from the God of all creation. And when he speaks and when he tells us what's going on here, we don't say, well, God, I don't, I don't think that's really true. Or I don't think that's, we say, oh, you're the, you're the creator of all the universe. So, so. I want to look at life that way. I want to look at your words that way. I want to look at how you interpret what's going on around me, not what the world says, because the world is nothing. The world is just some jerk tapping on the shoulder, go, move over there because I want you to. Whereas Jesus will say, uh, move over here because I'm, I'm your Lord and I'm your king. And so that, that, that's the first idea of saying seek the things that are above. And the second command is, is very similar. Um, it says uh, set your minds on things that are above, not on things of the earth. So it's just almost the same command, but there's a little bit of difference here. He, the focus is on the mind, how we think. As one person wrote, he says, we must not only seek heaven, uh, we must think heaven, uh, meaning our minds need to be changed by the way that we think about, the way that we think about this world in terms of eternity. And so this idea, he just keeps saying, seek the things that are above, set your mind on things that are above, things that are eternal, because that's where Jesus is. And now Paul says, now that we've established this command, it's time to get real. It's time to start talking about, you know, what this really means in our life. And this is where it's kind of tough, it kind of gets uncomfortable, but you know, if we didn't talk about, if we said everything uncomfortable in the Bible, we're just not going to talk about, we wouldn't have much to talk about. Uh, verse 5 says, Put to death, therefore, whatever is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. And in these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with his practices. Now, verse 5 it says, put to death whatever belongs to the earthly nature. The Greek tense is this decisive action. It says, you know, basically he's saying kill it and kill it right now. This, 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 this earthly nature in us, the things of this world. Now, if you're a doc, you, your doctor, you go to the, uh, the hospital and the doctor finds an, a very aggressive cancer in your system. And he asks you and says, now I just want to make sure because you have the option. I could remove all the cancer, completely take it away right now, or I can leave some of it in there. And you know, whenever you feel like taking the rest of it out, you know, we can do that later. So it's up to you. Now we'd say, well, that's kind of a weird, no doctor would ever say that. No doctor would ever ask us that. Why? Because no one in their right mind would want to leave a, 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 a life-destroying illness in their body, not even just a little part of it. That was a no-brainer. Doctor, just take it all out. Eliminate everything you can uh, from my body. Kill the cancer. Kill it now. Get rid of it completely. And, and Paul says this is how we need to look at uh, sin in our lives and these types of behavior. And he gives a lot of category. He gives a lot of different things. But I want to kind of put them in categories. The first category involves uh, things that sins related to desire, 
things related to pleasing our lower self. There's actually two big lists. So the first list is about desire, uh, about our lower self. This includes things like uh, sexual immorality, he names them, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Now again, what are these things? We think, we kind of know what they are, but for example, immorality, sexual immorality, impurity, really involves basically sexual sins. Any form of sexual sins, any form of sex outside of marriage, whether it is adultery, whether it is premarital sex, uh, but this also involves uh, impure physical contact that causes sexual arousal. So we, even if you have a girlfriend or a boyfriend or whatever, and you say, well, we're not having sex, you know, we're being pure, but you know that you're doing things that you say, well, is it, is it okay to do this, is it okay to do that? Well, we don't want to do laws here, rules here, but if you know that certain physical contact is causing sexual arousal, in you or in your, in your girlfriend or boyfriend is wrong. It's immoral. It's immoral sexual activity, uh, pornography, uh, perverse sexual behavior uh, that's hurtful or degrading. These all fall under the category of sexual immorality and impurity. And God says, uh, Paul says, you must kill it. Kill it right now. Second area, he says, uh, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. This is the idea of letting our passions take over, uh, uh, letting our desires just run free, uh, where personal satisfaction, uh, what I want and what I enjoy and what I feel, that that becomes the most important to me. That's, a, that's this area of sin. If I compromise my standards, if I compromise God's word, I compromise compassion and honor to, to do things or to get things that simply make me feel good, to say, I want that, I'm going to get it. I want that, I want to get it. That's not enough for me, I want more. Jesus, we think about this and I just wanna say Jesus is not against sex. He's not against physical pleasure and enjoyment. He's not against you and I owning good things that we enjoy or spending money to enjoy good things. These can be gifts from God. They, they can be enjoyed within the boundaries uh, of which God designed us to enjoy them. But sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness is about violating those boundaries. It is about uh, violating the boundaries that God set for these wants and these needs. It's about God, it's about us saying, yeah, God gave me good things to eat, but I want to eat more, and I want to eat this, and I want to eat that, even though it's, 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 it's hurting my health. And it's not good for me, but 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 I just want it because it makes me feel good. Uh, God has given me nice things to enjoy. I'm thankful for these things to enjoy, but I want better things. I want what that person has. Now this thing is not satisfying anymore, which worldly things were never meant to satisfy us. We say, I want to just keep the, the good feelings going, so I feel like the way to do that is get more stuff. Get this stuff, get that stuff. That person looks happy, I'm going to get what he has. This person looks happy, I want what she has. Um, and pretty soon it's like, I want that person's lifestyle I want that person's wife or that person's husband because I feel like it will make the bad feelings go away it will make the good feelings last longer and what Paul says is is this type of of of, of sin is is straight-up idolatry it's not just trying to satisfy simply satisfying a need it is replacing Jesus as the center of our life. I mean, idolatry was the most heinous 
us sin. For the Israelites, it was placing an abhorrent idol in the place of worship where God was supposed to be worshiped alone, where, 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 where holiness was to dwell. And, and Paul is saying when we continue in these sins of sexual impurity, of desire and passion, we are taking something else that is abhorrent and we're putting it uh, in the place of holiness where Jesus is supposed to be. And we're making that our want and our desire and the things that we think about and the things that we trust in and the things that we say is gonna bring us joy and, and happiness. And I, I wanna take this time to talk, and you thought this was uncomfortable. We're gonna get even more uncomfortable here. I really do wanna talk about pornography. Um, it says, you, know, you get all these statistics. This one was interesting. Six, and this is on the lower scale of, this, of the uh, statistics. 64 to 68% of young adult men and about 18% of women use porn at least once every week. Okay, it's not just men, it's women as well. Another 70% of men, another 30% of women use porn one to two times per month. Okay? And I don't need to explain what pornography is. We all know what that is. Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 says this. This is the words of Jesus. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be filled with darkness. If the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now, what, Paul, what Jesus is saying here is that whatever starts coming through the eyes is what is going to fill the soul, the inner person, and whatever we let, if we, pornography is allowing the, 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 the darkness of this world, a particular darkness of this world, to come in through our eyes, and fill our soul and our heart. That's really what it is. And the resultant effects of darkness, of this type of darkness, comes in so many different ways. Uh, the, the, the loss of intimacy with our own spouse, uh, a, a life of lies and deception and, and hiding all the time, marital deterioration, depression, oppression, even spiritual oppression, fear, guilt, shame, condemnation, hopelessness, sexual addiction, promiscuity, adultery, physical violence, and even sexual perversion. All these things come or, or, or become a part of, of people's lives who begin to open that door for, for uh, sexual immorality to come in through the eyes, to make things worse if it couldn't get worse than that, to make things worse. Personal engagement in pornography means supporting a worldwide business Okay, pornography is a worldwide business, probably one of the biggest businesses in the world. Um, and by engaging in pornography, we are supporting this business that ruins families, ruins children, ruins marriages, contributes to corruption, to abuse, to rape, to prostitution, and to human trafficking. We talk about how horrible human trafficking is Okay, how horrible it is, how we want to stop human trafficking, how we cannot believe that this is still a business in our world today. Why is it a business? Well, part of it is because of pornography. And we, we need to recognize that, that the commands of God are, and scripture are, are, are for our benefit. Um, they're for the benefit of society. The commands of God are not... Uh, uh, things that, that are a burden to us. They, they are an acts of, of God's grace, of God's mercy to, to save us 
and to save our world or to preserve our world from a lot of the consequences, the horrible consequences of sin. And that's why Paul says very clearly, put to death whatever belongs to the earthly nature, whatever is earthly in us as believers in Christ, as light in this world, remove this cancer that will do nothing but rob us of peace, rob us of our health, rob us of blessings of God on our lives, on our families, and on our church, and on, in our world. Uh, Paul says, put it to death. Put it to death right now. Not even one small bit of, 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 of cancer left in the body in the whole body of Christ, in our bodies. Uh, verse eight, Paul speaks of a, another aspect of a category of sins, and these are, these are actually um, sins of speech, uh, it, 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 things that we say, and particularly in terms of interpersonally, and he's talking about even within the church, and he says, now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, from your mouth, do not lie to one another. And these again, these are sins that are committed by our speech, the things that we say. Uh, anger, anger is not just about emotion. Paul's not saying never be angry, because you know, we can't help it, we get angry. But anger here is talking about wrath. It's talking about uh, 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 words, uh, we're anger that leads to wrath, that leads to an outburst of, 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 of a loss of control of our actions and our words. And what this does is this says, hey, we need to, to examine our words every day because our words are going to reveal to us, you know, whether we have spoken out with wrath, whether we're able to control and put on Christ in the way that we're supposed to. You know, have I said words? Have I spoken to people in ways where I have um, let my emotional anger just really guide the things that I say rather than Jesus. Uh, if I know that there's gonna be a, a, a tough meeting today, or if I know I'm gonna have to talk to this person at work and work out this thing, or I need to, to work out this other conflict, if I know that that's gonna happen today, I really need to pray and pray and say, can my interaction be without wrath? Be without an outburst? of a lack of control, that my feelings and my, my anger inside comes out and, and really does hurt somebody and attack somebody, that's anger. Malice, malice is, it deals with the inner heart, the inner heart of wanting to do harm to another person. Now again, this seems really kinda you know, evil, wow, malice, why would I wanna do harm to somebody else? I'd never feel that way, but you know, really, honestly, when we're subject to injustice, when we, something, we see something that's not going right or we, we feel like somebody is uh, doing something that's really bad or hurt us, and we say, oh, nothing happened to them, that's not fair. If we try to do something that makes it fair, we're thinking of malice. We're saying, I think that person needs to know how he made me feel, so I'm gonna make him feel that same way. I think that person needs you to, to feel the consequences of his actions, so I'm going to make sure that people know and he's gonna have a miserable day and, and he's gonna get hurt because he deserves it, she deserves it. That's actually malice. That's the desire in our hearts to do harm to somebody else. Whether we feel it's justified or not or whatever is still malice. Slander 
is, is a sense, it is the outworking of that malice. Slander is, is, involves words that are spoken with the deliberate intent to cause harm to another person, meaning we are saying something uh, deliberately to cause harm to somebody else. Now again, it may not be direct, you know, we don't say to somebody, man, you're a jerk, I hate your guts and I hope you die, you know, things like that. We don't say stuff like that, we're much more subtle. We'll say, oh, oh yeah, yeah, that guy. Well, we all know what he's like. Or, oh yeah, you know. These are our words that, you know, we don't really say anything bad, but what we're really doing is we're using our words and we're using our body language to say things and communicate things that cause harm. We're finding ways to express our malice by the words we say, by passing on information. Oh, yeah, I heard that too. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We all know about that. Yeah, I had that experience too. This can become malice. Obscene language. Obscene language refers to more than just abusive, you know, like swear words. Of course, we don't want to use swear words. Um, but abusive language are words that hurt. And we, can, we, we don't have to use profanity to hurt people. We can use eloquent words to say things that bring harm. And just another, like, quick thing about obscenity, okay? You know, when people say obscenities, it doesn't throw me off the rails. Like, oh my gosh, he said the, this word or that word. Uh, I remember Matthew said, my teacher came home and he, and he said the S word. I'm like, oh, what S word? He did? And she goes, yeah, he said, shut up, you know? I'm like, oh. <laughs> you know? And I said, like, oh, okay. But um, I, was, <laughs> I was reading this book, which was really interesting. It was written by uh, John Wooden. He's a, he's a basketball um, coach. And he was saying, which is interesting, he's talking about college students. And he's saying, in college basketball, he does not allow any of his players to swear which is hard for college students. You know, college students, they, in college, everybody's just, that's the way it is, right? But he says, he says it's not that, that the swearing like, really bothers me. He says, but rather that the swearing, he says the swearing reflects upon him a lack of self-control. He says, if you can control your speech, then you can control your anger on the, on the court. And he says, I don't want any of my players to lose their, lose their cool on the court and do something that's going to hurt the team or hurt our chances at the playoff because they can't control their emotion. And he says, so I look at, he says, I look at language. If people can't control their mouths in the things that they say, in their swear words, then he says, it indicates to me that they may have some trouble uh, controlling their emotions as well. And he says, that's the type of person that I don't want on my team. And I thought that was really a, a, an interesting and insightful way of looking at things. Again, like I said, if somebody says swear words to me, it's not going to you know, throw me off the rails and I'm not gonna condemn you and say I can't listen to you or anything like that. But do realize that, that our language does reflect a lot more about our hearts than we realize. And even working on our language itself can be a means of saying, I'm learning to control. If I can control my mouth, even in the very simple things that come out of it, uh, this really uh, says a lot about character, what Jesus is really doing in my heart. And so th this is, again, obscenity. Another thing, lies. Now, we know the lies are the language of Satan. Lies just are statements that are in direct contradiction with the truth. And we know, hey, that's not acceptable. 
That's not acceptable for, for believers. In fact, lies, lies are, Satan himself is called the father of lies. And Jesus was telling uh, the, 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 the Pharisees that when you speak this language, you speak the language of your father, who's the father of lies. He's saying you're speaking the language of Satan. Of course, they were really offended, and I'd be really offended too if somebody said, you're speaking like Satan. And, and, but basically, when we speak lies, things that are not the truth, we're speaking the language of Satan, and it's as Jesus would say to us, or Paul would say to us, hey, stop, this, this language is not proper and not right in the church family. And so the, the, the way that Paul, when he, he goes through uh, these commands, the way that he words them, he's insinuating that they are already occurring in the Colossian community, because he doesn't say, you know, be careful, you guys are doing really great, but just be careful about these things, don't fall into it. He is saying, stop engaging in sexual sin. Stop engaging in impurity of your thoughts. Stop hurting one another with your abusive language. Stop lying to one another and destroying the community of Jesus. And God is really saying, you know, stop doing these things that will hurt ourselves, that will hurt the church, that will not uh, uh, build up uh, the body of Jesus Christ. Whatever that cancer is in our soul or in our church, no excuses, no putting it off, no negotiating or, or, or dealing, uh, just kill it. Just kill it. Put it to death. He says, seek the things that, that are above. Set your mind on, on where Jesus is. Put to death earthly things. And now he speaks of a new morality. He says, put on, put on the new life, put on Christ. Uh, in, in, in view of the, our completeness with Christ. In verse 12, he says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if, and, and if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Now again, it's no surprise that the force of this command is keep putting on. Keep putting on Christ. Every day, put on new clothes. That's what we tell our kids, right? I know that's your shirt. I know you love your shirt. I know it's really cool. I know everybody loves it when you, but you know, you can't wear it every single day. You gotta put on a new shirt. You gotta put on a new shirt because it gets dirty, it gets gross. And that's the same thing. Put on the new self every single day. It's not, I put it on today and now I'm filled through there. Every single day, we gotta put on Jesus Christ. We gotta put on the new self. And, um, uh, you know, when we go through these things, you know, I know a lot of times we think through, and even myself, I'm thinking through like, oh yeah, that would be good for this person here. Oh, I can think of someone who should. No, we say, well, God, what are you saying to me? And that's why I had to stop too and pray. Just God, what are you saying to me? You know, don't look at anybody when you say these things. <laughs> look at everybody. Look at yourself. And, 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 and how is God um, building these things in our lives? How is he convicting us regarding these aspects of, of what God is asking us to put in our lives? We talk about compassion. Compassion is tenderness that is expressed towards the suffering and towards the weak. That when we look at those around us who are hurting, who have need, does it move us towards them? Or are we you know, cold and find reasons why not to, 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 to think about it or to ignore it? 
uh, kindness. Kindness is, is, is like goodness, it's, it's, it's grace. It's the idea that, that our, our words, uh, the opposite of severity, the opposite of wrath, the opposite of, of hurting, uh, hurting someone is, is kindness. Kindness is giving grace to somebody. It's treating somebody with goodness, with, with gentleness. This, this, is, this is what God wants, uh, what happens when we put on Christ. These are the words now that, that, that come at our mouth, words that are, are kind and, and good for the ones who hear it. Uh, humility, again, humility, meekness, basically be like Jesus. Jesus, uh, in his time, he stood in the face of of the ancient, see nowadays when we do business, I, like I read some of these business leadership books because I have to for my doctorate stuff, and they're, they're like uh, worldly stuff, but you have to learn leadership stuff, and, and one of the things that I noticed that even like worldly uh, professionals say, oh, humility is good for business. If a, if a, if a, uh, a CEO or a manager is humble, uh, he can do these and these things, and I look at it and go, oh, yeah, well, people are starting to recognize the value of humility, but it's still not complete because you read it and say, oh, well, the reason you want to be humble is so that people will work for you and do the things you want them to do. So I'm like, well, that's not really exactly why we should be humble. And if people start not doing the things you want to do, does that mean you don't be humble anymore? Say, well, okay, this is not working. I don't want to be humble because they're not getting work done. No, uh, Jesus, when Jesus said be humble, he stood in the face of his entire society at that time because the ancient idea uh, in his time said that, that humility was, was a fault. It was never listed in terms of um, any good characteristic, any virtue in the ancient times. Humility was not, honor, honor was, was big for them. You know, if you're honorable, in fact, it was, it was a good thing to, to boast of your honor because then people would know and they would, they would revere you and they would give you the respect that you're supposed to have. That's the society that Jesus uh, and, and his disciples grew up in. And so when Jesus comes in and says, uh, hey, the way to, to be great is to um, be humble, to, 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 to be last, to, to seek to be, uh, he gives, he gives uh, he says the, the, the meek are gonna inherit the earth. The ones on the lowest strata are gonna be the ones that are the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And these are the things that, that Jesus is speaking of in terms of humility and meekness. Patience is about self-restraint. It's not just, oh, I'm patient, I can, I can last forever because see me, I'm a, I'm, I'm a very patient person, but I can use my patience for being passive aggressive too, right? You guys know, right? I mean, I know some of you know what I'm talking about. You're patient. Uh, okay, I'm not going to do anything, and I'm just going to hurt that person by not doing anything because I'm super patient. I'll just wait it out till they go nuts, you know? And so that's not patience. I mean, that's patience in the real world. You know, you don't blow up or anything, but it's still hurtful, right? You're still doing something to hurt somebody. Patience, what the Bible says patience is, patience is self-restraint. Patience is refraining from taking revenge. It means when I think I should take revenge right now, I should strike back right now, I should say something to hurt that person right now, patience is saying, I'm not gonna do that. If someone is bothering me and annoying me, and it's like, 
you know, are bothering us and annoying us, and we say, you know, somebody needs to tell that person to stop annoying and stop doing these things. I can't stand it. That's, that's, that's a lack of patience. Patience is like, okay, I need to forbear. I need to be patient, uh, particularly as we're thinking about those who are affected by disabilities and all that kind of, and all those things, and we say, well, hey, we're going to have to learn to be patient, to say, hey, I'm not going to just react and, and do the things that I want to do or, 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 or tell people to correct their behavior for me because I don't think it's, you know, I don't enjoy it. Patience is about bearing injury, bearing insult, bearing inconveniences without resorting to retaliation. Forgiveness. Forgiveness involves surrendering our right for repayment. And forgiveness is, is bigger than patience. Because patience can be, in this is instance, I'm not going to say anything after what they did to me. I'm going to hold myself back. That's patience. But even with that, we may say, but man, in my heart, they really hurt me. And I, you know, I, I'm gonna hold it against them until they apologize. Until they do what's right, I, I'm gonna hold it against them. I'm gonna treat them differently. You can still be patient, but that's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is saying, they hurt me, I deserve repayment, but I'm going to let go of my right for repayment. I mean, I, I can still talk about it. I can still try to, to reconcile the situation. I can still go and say, you did something wrong and, and uh, it hurt me and things like that. But if they refuse to give payment back, if they refuse to say sorry, if they refuse to reconcile, if they refuse to admit they did something wrong, forgiveness means I will let go of the payment that I deserve. I really honestly will let go of it. And I will treat that person with grace and honor. That's forgiveness and that's something that's so hard. It's the hardest thing to do. It's the hardest thing to do. And, and it's interesting that as we look at this, what Paul is, is saying is that, you know, Christians are not perfect. You know, we're gonna sin. And we do sin. And forgiveness is going to be a quality that has to be, uh, has to be present in the body of Christ for the, for the body of Christ to survive, to be what God has called us to be. And of course, the last is love. Paul says in all these things, uh, um, we love. That love is the one that binds all these things together. And what this is saying is that, hey, you, you cannot withhold your anger and wrath without the love of Jesus Christ in your heart. You can't do it on your own. No matter how good and how patient of a person you are, you cannot uh, 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 be gentle and kind with everyone without the love of Jesus Christ in your heart. You cannot truly forgive someone without recognizing the, the forgiveness of God in our own hearts. Love truly binds these things together. If I, I really want to be patient, if I really want to, to, uh, to, to, to love in this way, we just say, you know, it's not my own love, it's not me, just God saying, God, help me be patient, help me forgive. It's God, help me to, um, to love with the love of God because my love is limited. My love is conditional. My love has favoritism. 
My love uh, needs a fr- affirmation and needs a response. But God, I need your love to fill me, to change me, to guide me, to do the things that, that your word tells me is going to bring joy and blessing to me, to my family, to my friends, to this church, the community around me. Compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, uh, uh, forgiveness. And we sit and, and today we want to say, hey, uh, which of these things right now, as we look at these things right now, what's God really laying on my heart right now? What's God saying to me? Or maybe the, 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 the past list of, of impurity and, and, and those things. What, what, what's God saying to me right now? Am I really compromising? Am I not putting to death? Am I putting, let's like, say, God, I'm putting aside, you know, 90% of this sin in my life and, and this impurity in my life. And, you know, for me and my girlfriend, we're not going to do these things. So that's like 90% of, of, of the impurity in my life. I'm going to put this aside and honor Jesus. And God says, well, no, but you still got that. One percent of that cancer that you're just saying, I'm going to keep in there until I'm ready to let you take that. No, Paul says, kill it all. Because this is a disease in our hearts. We let it stay. And no person in their right mind would allow a, a fatal disease to remain inside if they know that it can be removed. They know it can be removed. And, and so as we look at these things, what are areas in which God is just saying to us, hey, not, again, what God's saying to others, what is God saying to me? Are there people in my life right now that I'm still holding, um, I'm still not surrendering my right to repay. I'm still holding out. Uh, I'm not as compassionate. There, there are people around me that, that, that I, I really believe God wants me to help, but I just, it's too inconvenient for me. It's too messy for me. I, I, I don't want to do it. I'm worried that if I get involved, if I do something, it's going to make life harder for me. It's going to make life inconvenient for me. I don't want to do this. Um, maybe God is speaking to you about compassion right now. He's showing you somebody in your life right now that you really need to say, I've got to open tenderness to this one who is suffering, who this one is weak. Humility, meekness, patience. God, I need today, I need this week patience because I'm going to be talking to this guy and he always uses language that abuses and hurts. And I need, God, I need your grace to, to give me the ability to, to smile and to bless. What are these areas? We pray and we think, you know, hey, God, what, what's one of these areas that God is really speaking to me? Now, in conclusion, um, again, Paul, Paul, Paul closes this whole thing by saying that, uh, verses 15 through 17, he says, as we do these things, this is what becomes of the body of Christ. He says, uh, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. So we know it's a, to the church, he says, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God, And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
I want to read it again because this is the church. Yesterday in the leadership retreat, uh, we were so blessed as we talked about you know, all the ways in which God has blessed uh, and, 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 and led in prayer. And, and she, was, she led all of us in prayer for a very prolonged period of time. Like maybe it, was like, seemed like, it seemed like half an hour, but I bet it was longer than that because prayer, when you start praying, goes so fast. But she was, the last part of her prayer, asking all of us leaders, she says, what do you want, what is your hope for living hope? That's what she's saying. Pray that out. What do you want for living hope. What do you want living hope to be? As you think of all the good things, as you think about even some of the, 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 the things that we still are struggling with, you know, and what are your, your prayer? And I, I like this prayer. Let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts together, which indeed we were called in one body, and let us be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in us richly as we teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. Let us be filled with singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in our hearts to God, and whatever we do in our words and in our deeds, we do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus. We give thanks to God the Father through him. This is our hope for living hope. This is what we want to be. Let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. Let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Let us sing hymns and, and songs of praise. Let us do everything in the name of Jesus. Let us give thanks to God the Father. Let this be our prayer for us, for our families, for living hope, for the community around us, that, that, that this is our prayer. And we believe this is, this is what God says can happen with the completeness of Jesus Christ. We don't make it happen. This is the gift of Jesus that he offers to every church as we strive and seek the things above. Well, let's go ahead and let's just spend some time in prayer right now in reflection.